1: Thank you for joining us today. The Holy Bible emphasizes the priority of prayer and fasting in the Old and New Testaments. That alone reveals the importance of consistent devotion to these doctrines in our Christian lives. During this season of Lent, Pastor Draper shares a three-part series on their spiritual significance. We cannot comprehend the unspeakable joy as well as the spiritual and personal rewards that await us when we faithfully fulfill these commandments. Listen in with Bible, pen, and paper handy, as you will want to take notes.
2: We're in a series on fasting and prayer, and I've preached a number of messages as it relates to it. Uh, We've been hanging around the passage of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. And so if you have your Bibles, be so kind enough as to turn uh, to that particular segment of Scripture Matthew, uh, chapter 6, verses 5 through 7, and then verses 16 through 18 is the text. If someone does not have a Bible, be so kind enough as to share your Bible so they can see the word for themselves as well. The word of God reads, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Down to verse 16. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. But to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And from this particular passage of scripture, we want to continue the theme of the message series of the priority of prayer and fasting. Fasting and prayer is so critical to the life of of the saints. It is not an option. It is a command and we need to take it seriously. We've had enough books written on prayer. We've had enough conferences and seminars on prayer. It is high time that the people of God would be determined within their own hearts to pray, pray, pray. Much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. And you know what? You're not going to survive these times in which we live apart from prayer. There's enough to worry you sick. There's enough going on to stress you out to no end. There's enough of you already, already on edge as it is. And with that being said, apart from prayer, you'll not move back off the edge. You'll not be able to calm down. You're, 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 you're not be able to get it together like you want to. It takes prayer uh, in your life to live at the potential to the glory of God. This particular passage gives us specific instructions on how to, to pray and not only pray, but fast. So the first thing I'd like to say is this. God expects his children to pray. He expects you to pray. That's right. He expects you to talk to him. And you ought to want to talk to him. I mean, after all, he's the creator of the world. How many of you know God created the heaven and earth? Amen. If you don't know that, then I'm glad you're in the right place because I announced to you today that he created the heaven and earth. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. Okay. The earth didn't come by some big bang, some kind of cosmic explosion or some kind of evolution. God created it. Okay. And so you, you, and then how many of you know he's your savior? I know he's my savior. I raise both hands up. If I could raise my feet up, I raise them up too. He's my savior. So you ought to pray to God because he's your creator. He knows every aspect of you, he knows the number of hairs on your head. And you say, Well, I don't have any hair. Well, he knows the number of breaths you're going to breathe this day. You ought to pray because prayer expresses your dependence upon God. That's why you pray. You say, well, why pray? Because God knows everything. But when you pray, it it, is indicative of the fact that you are dependent upon him and you're realizing life can't not be lived in this world with all the atrocities and tragedies and killings and murders and all the things that are happening to the left, right, east, west, north, south. Apart from prayer, you are going to be in a hot mess. So when I say hot mess, that's a mess. So God expects his children to pray. He said, what do you see that in the Bible? I'm glad you asked. We, We visit the text. The text says in verse 5a, and when you pray. In verse 6a, but you, when you pray. Verse seven, eight. And when you pray, in other words, it is expected of the believers to pray. And then secondly, God expects his children to fast, not only to pray, but fast as well. In other words, to deny ourselves the pleasures of this world and the things we like in order to draw near to God, that he would sift us, purge us, cleanse us, deliver us, deliver us and do a new thing in us, refresh us, revive us, heal us. All of these things are done through fasting and prayer. So God expects us to fast. You say, where is that? In verse 16a, it says in the Bible, see what the text says. I'm not giving you my opinion. My opinion doesn't mean anything to God. What matters is what thus said the word of God. And verse 16a says, moreover, when you fast. In verse 17a, but you, when you fast, you see, in other words, this passage gives us instructions and insights in our personal and private prayer life. However, there are other passages of scripture that validate public prayer. There are a lot of people say we well, ought to pray in private, but not in public. I beg to differ with you. There are times when we need to even pray publicly to make a statement before the Lord and not be ashamed to own him to own God before the Lord. Uh, blessing your food in public is a wonderful thing. Amen. When I'm in the airport and we're taking the team on a mission trip and we bow our heads and hold hands and pray, that makes people a move. It, it's a testimony that you know the Lord and God's children are pray. Let me t- Islam ought not beat us praying. Amen. They're not beat us getting on our knees. Every time I look at them, they're on their knees bowing, on their knees bowing, on their knees bowing. The Christians ought to be leading the way in, to the, in showing the world that we have the most holy God, who is the one and only God, the true and living God. We ought to bow and kneel before the Lord our maker. So praying ought to be public because it just serves notice that you belong to God. And praying ought to not just be done privately, but publicly as well. Oh, he said. What do you mean? Uh, let me give you some scriptures to, to, to tell you what I'm talking about. John six eleven, the Gospel of John, uh, chapter six, verse eleven. Uh, we see Jesus praying publicly as he is feeding the multitudes of uh, uh, loaves of bread. In ver- John six eleven, it says, "And and Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, see, he's praying publicly before all those people, thousands of people. He he distributed." them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. You see Jesus praying before the distribution of the food. And then in the gospel of John 11, chapter 11, verses 41 and 42, there again, Jesus, our Lord, is praying publicly. Are are y'all hanging with me? I want you to hang with me now. This is a Bible teaching church. We reference the scripture. So that's why it's necessary for you to bring the Bible so you can see what it says. In the gospel of uh, John, chapter 11, verses 41 and 42, it says, then they took away the stone. From the place where the dead man was lying, that's Lazarus. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said before the crowd looking, Father, I thank you that you have heard me and I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus prays publicly before raising Lazarus from the dead. And that's
1: public praying. As we continue today's message, Pastor Rander provides answers to key questions that will strengthen our resolve to pray and fast. What is prayer? What should be our posture in prayer? What is fasting? How should we approach fasting? What happens if God's people fail to pray? What happens when God's children pray? Keep listening as Pastor Rander guides us through God's Word for the answers to these questions. Remember to keep Bible, pen, and paper handy. And then another account, there are many others in Scripture, particularly also in the Old
2: Testament, but let me give you another New Testament account. In the book of Acts, chapter 27, uh, 27, verses 34 through 36, you see Paul praying publicly as uh, those on that ship is in a whole whole lot of trouble. Uh, He prays on that ship to comfort those who are there thinking that they are going to go under. In Acts 27, 34 to 36, Paul prays, Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is your survival. Says not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread. Look, he prays publicly on that boat. He took bre- bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all see all. That wasn't private. That was public. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged, and also took food uh, themselves. We see here Paul comforting uh, those who are on, the, on the ship, and they were on turbulent waters. They were in a, a tempestuous storm. The wind, the wind was raging, and the water was lashing against the ship. The ship was tossing every which way and they just knew they were going under because Paul told them not to set sail anyhow. But, you know, very few people listen to the preacher and they went out on troubled waters and they got themselves in a whole lot of trouble. And yet Paul gives them a word of comfort. He he prays and bless food and comfort them. Let me tell you something. The best. Listen, when you are in trouble, they were on stormy waters. The wind blowing and the way the water lashing against the boat. And Jesus prayed on that boat and gave thanks. Let me tell you something. If you ever want to survive your trouble, give thanks. That's how you get through trouble. That's how you make it. Have an attitude of gratitude in the midst of calamity and crises and storms and things beyond your control. The boat was just out of control. The weather was, was, was turbulent and Jesus is giving thanks in the middle of the storm. What do you do in the middle of the storm? Are you a crybaby? Are you a whiner? Are you saying, why me, why me, my, and God says, shut up, why not? Because storms are used to refine you, to sift you, to purge you, to get the best out of you, to get you to look more like the Lord Jesus Christ. So it is appropriate to do private prayer as we see in Matthew 6 and it is also appropriate to do public praying as we see in the various accounts that I've just forementioned. Let me tell you something else too about prayer. We must not pray to impress men, but to exclusively talk to and commune with the true and living God. That's why we pray, we pray to talk to, exclusively talk to and commune with the true and living God. Praying with wrong motives will invalidate the prayer. That's right. So you're not praying to people. You're always praying exclusively to God, to God. Look at verse five, Matthew six. We're back in the the original text now. Uh, Matthew six, uh, verse five, it says, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues. And on the corners of the street that they may be seen by men. Surely I say to you, they have their rewards. In other words, these hypocrites and uh, Pharisees and scribes and so forth—they were praying to be seen by men, to be commended by men. You know, they weren't praying to God. They were praying with the wrong motive. to to receive commendation. And Jesus said, you're a hypocrite. You already have the reward. I don't need man to reward me. I want God to reward me ultimately." Amen. And verse 16, it says moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad face for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their rewards. In other words, a person telling you, "Ooh, you sure can pray." Oh, girl, you you some kind of prayer? word. man? You? I just love hearing you pray. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you! And you are loving it and loving it and loving it. And Jesus says that commendation is all the reward you get. So, so we have to watch how we pray. As a matter of fact, let me tell you this: When you have a have a good strong prayer life privately, it doesn't take you so long to pray before people publicly. Folk that stand before folk and pray long and can't stop, that's a sure indication that they're not praying at home. Because when your prayer life is healthy at home, you don't have to be eternal in your prayer before people. Won't y'all say amen? Uh, Let me tell you something about prayer. We emulate Christ when we have that quiet, solitary place where we can frequent God alone in prayer. A disciple is a follower and learner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are Christians. In other words, we, we, our goal is to be like Christ. You know, we're not to be like the movie stars and the sports figures and all these, all these people. We're to be like Christ. And Christ, he, he, he sought that quiet, solitary place. And he commands us to pray, to have that place where we can commune with God frequently and quietly and privately. Look at verse 6. But you, when you pray, go into your room. Do you have that private place of prayer? And when you have shut your door, close yourself in. In other words, shut out the interruptions. Pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Mark 135, we see an account where Jesus himself prays privately early in the morning all alone in the gospel of Mark chapter 1 verse 35 the text says now in the morning having risen a long while before day that's early he went out and departed to a solitary place and there he prayed in a solitary place that's something let me ask you a question where is your quiet undisturbed quiet place where you and God frequently get together in time of prayer and spiritual refreshment. Now with that solitary place, a quiet place, that means that you have to shut down the noise. And the reason some of you all don't have prayer going on in your homes is because your house is too noisy. The television is running even when you're not looking at it. The, the, there goes the radio there's the beeper and the internet and the bells and the whistles and the gadgets and on and on and go no wonder you you can't pray and I, I i I've come to the conclusion that some of you all are scared of solitude and quietness. why don't you have it if you if when you make up your mind to pray, you have to shut off some things, shut down some things and pull away. <laughs> so that you can talk to God without being disturbed. The devil is too busy. He's too dangerous. The world is too dangerous, and the world is too busy, and people are in a mess, and, and, and they'll have you all so messed up that you'll never get to praying. Let me tell you something about prayer. Prayer must be sincere from the heart without meaningless babble and repetitive words prayer must be sincere from the heart without meaningless babble and repetitive words. Well you see that in verse 7 and when you pray do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do for they think that they will be heard for their look many words just because you pray, pray long doesn't mean you're praying right you can pray, you can pray long and be ignorant yeah, that's right And some some of the best prayers are your short prayers. Listen, there are times when all I can say is, Lord, have mercy or help me, Jesus, or I need you now, Lord. Those are those are short prayers, but just as impacting and just as effective to the glory of God. Yeah. And then there are times when I need to stay down there a while and just pray and then pray in my own prayer time. And let me tell you something, if you can get up and act the same, if you can get off your knees and cuss somebody out, if you can get up and steal and act ignorant and act ugly and get beside yourself, you You got up too quick. Get back on your knees. Get back down there. You got up because when you get up, prayer ought to change you. That's right. I can lay my religion down. If you lay it down, you don't have one. Get back down on your knees and pray until God get a hold of you. I said, uh, in the first service this morning, there's a brother years ago in the, uh, the other location. God just knocked him out right on the floor and just, and he stayed there just about the whole service. He needed to be there. God, God knows how to knock you down. You get beside yourself. I said, leave him alone. You need, let, let him lay there. God's dealing with him, you know, and God knows how to knock. Listen, if you, If you don't humble yourself, God knows how to humble you. God will knock you down. Sometimes God don't wait till you get out of church to knock you out. God will knock you out right in church. That's right. At the yard, we need a reverential fear of Almighty God. What happens if God's people fail to pray? What happens if God's people fail to pray? Number one, a prayerless life gives Satan all kinds of opportunities to wreak havoc in our lives. We are easily exploited when we fail to pray. We are easily misled when we fail to pray. We are easily deceived and defeated when we when we fail to pray. We are easily led to believe a lie when we fail to pray. We are more prone to yield to temptation when we fail to pray, which will result in our physical and spiritual demise. You don't want to be exploited and taken advantage of by the enemy. And you give Satan all kind of operating room in your life when there is no prayer. Ephesians 4, 27 says, nor give place to the devil. And when you fail to pray, you are giving place to the enemy. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be sober, be diligent, because your adversary, your enemy, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Satan is out to destroy your marriage. You say, well, I've been married 40 years. Satan doesn't care about that. They're married 40 years, been divorced. Satan wants your marriage as much now as he did when you first said "I do," Satan wants your child. He wants your grandchild. He wants your home. He wants. He wants. He wants your mind. He wants total control of you, and you give yourself over to him, and he wipes you out. And 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 some of you are given permission by all the stuff that you you open yourselves up to. Secondly, what happens when when God's people fail to pray? When we fail to pray, we lose our focus. Our minds become more distracted and the weightier things are left undone. We lose our focus when we fail to pray. Our minds become distracted and the weightier things that God is calling us to do is left undone. Colossians chapter three, verse two says, "Uh, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. That's a kingdom mind. Let me tell you something about Colossians 3, 2. What is this verse saying? Set your mind on things above. To set our minds on things above is to live in a continuous pursuit of things that have lasting eternal value. That's what that means. It is to live in continuous pursuit of things that have lasting eternal value. And some of you, you you pursue the Spurs, and then they go on a six-game losing streak. Uh, You pursue the Cowboys, and they can't even play in in the own stadium in the In the Super Bowl, you you pursue friends and they let you down. God says, pursue me. Seek first the kingdom of God. I won't let you down. I won't betray you. To set your mind on things above, above means this. One whose mind is set on things above will refuse to allow himself or herself to be pulled in so many directions that he fails to fulfill God's plan for his or her life. Do you realize when you don't have a kingdom mind and when you when your mind is not set on things above, you'll find yourself torn in many directions. And when you look around, you have nothing to show for your life. God knows where you are and he knows to get how to get you where you need to be in the fullness of time. And when you have a kingdom mind, your mind is set on things above. Listen, it is sweet. And you find yourself not being cared about in so many agendas and directions. Another thing about setting your mind on things above uh, is, is to consider is this. One who is kingdom-minded will set his mind on things above and only do those things that please the Father. When well, your mind is a heavenly mind. When you have a Christ-centered mind, when you are consumed with seeking God and his kingdom work, then you are determined to seek to do those things that pleases him.
1: In his conclusion to this series, Pastor Rander imparts godly wisdom to two additional questions. At what point does one know when to sever certain relationships? And why does God require us to confess our sin? The key to every aspect of our spiritual journey is total commitment to our Lord and Savior. We are either hot or cold. There is no in-between. If you enjoy this kind of biblical teaching by Pastor Rander, please visit us at Maranatha Bible Church located in Converse, Texas.